I love how Paul begins this letter here because what he's actually doing is he's driving us to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a, a, a pressing for us to worship God because listen to his words beginning in verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I mean, that would make a Presbyterian shout. even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, it says, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The, the doctrinal and theological truths here, they're, they're not veiled. They're, they're not skewed. I mean, it, it's very clear here how the believer is justified or, or saved. God the Father planned it. God the Father initiated it. God the Son achieved it, and God the Holy Spirit applies it. And even though this is crystal clear, there's all kinds of confusions, there's all kinds of arguments and divisions within Christianity on these points. You know, when these things arise, there are those within Christianity, you know, they mean well. And they really want to preserve or make peace over this issue by offering compromise. They want to offer compromise in interpretations of the Bible's teaching on the justification of the believer. They will attempt to keep peace by discouraging such doctrines from being taught. They, they will discourage them from being preached. You know, they say that all of this is to stop arguments, to prevent division. And to be honest with you, they're right. It will stop division. It will stop arguments within the church. But it leaves the church theologically and doctrinally ignorant. And by ignorant, I mean unknowing. We can't avoid the doctrine of justification. 
church can't continue in the 21st century only partially explaining the doctrine of justification. That's why the book of Ephesians is so important in our day. But that confusion exists. When they come to books like this, and in particular chapter 1, there's confusion. Now, does this confusion within the church today catch God by surprise? Does it? It doesn't, does it? And to deal with this confusion, to know that there would be a struggle over these particular truths, do you know what God did? He gave us chapter 2. So let's begin looking here at chapter 2 together. And you, get that? Who's you? You. Me. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, who's all? That's us. All once what? Lived. Lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And here's the two greatest words in the Bible. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, what's the rest of it? You have been saved. Doesn't that just stir your heart to worship the one true living God? By grace you have been saved and raised us with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that at the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It was back in the last summer, a co-worker friend of mine, uh, he took an interest in the game of golf. And if any of you know anything about the game of golf, you know, it's kind of difficult. But he, but he took a real interest in it, and he, he'd never played before. He'd never even picked up a golf club before. 
I mean, he, he just heard myself and some of our other coworkers and talking about playing. And a couple of them had been playing in some of the club tournaments where they're members, and, and, and they were planning a, a trip with some of their friends you know, to play some different golf courses. And he, he got really excited about the game of golf. So you know what he did? He went out and bought a brand new set of golf clubs. He went out and he bought the golf clubs and then he turned around and he drove over to where some of our coworkers were members at this golf course and he decided he was going to get himself an annual membership. And then after he got his annual membership, he decided he was going to sign up to play in the next club tournament that was scheduled for the following week. So after he signs up, he shows up the following weekend for the tournament. He joins the group that he set to play with. And between rule violations and just horrendous play, he was so embarrassed by hole number five, he quit and went home. And I tell you that story to tell you this. He made a mistake. He dove right into the middle of the game of golf. He didn't start at the beginning. And many times we make the same mistakes when we pick up biblical doctrines. We pick them up and we jump right in the middle of one with no understanding, no, no teaching. And we begin to make horrendous mistakes with it. And after we make the mistakes with it, we get so embarrassed that we do what? Quit. And then after a period of time, we, we apologize to God for what we've done. And then we actually go to the beginning. So for us to understand the doctrine of justification, we, we need to gain our understanding from where the Bible begins. And it's here in Ephesians chapter 2 where we're told where it begins because it tells us what we've been saved from. Now, I pointed this out as we were reading it, but I want you to see it again here. What kind of people were we when God saved us? Well, look there in verse 1. And you were dead. So according to the Bible, what kind of people were we when God saved us? We were dead. Dead in trespasses and sin. Now, now, it's important for us to understand what this is or, or what this means, okay? It's very important for us to understand what this means. See, the Greek word here for dead is the word nekros. It means lifeless. It means inanimate. It means to be destitute of life. It means to be deceased. All right, so we're necros in the what? Trespasses. The word there for trespasses is paratoma. It means a, a deviation from truth. Means a deviation from uprightness. So we're dead 
in the deviation from truth and uprightness. And then Paul goes on and says, and sins. Right, the word there for sins is harimatia. It means to miss the mark. It means to miss or to wander from the path of uprightness. It means to wander from the law of God or to violate God's law. So what are we being told here? God, through the Apostle Paul's pen, is telling us, you who are in Christ Jesus right now, were, past tense, destitute of a life that recognizes and is devoted to God, because you were given up to a deviation from truth and uprightness, and you had wandered from the law of God and was a violator of the law of God. So just how sinful are we apart from Christ Jesus? Well, there's three opinions within Christianity today. Did you know that? on just how sinful we are apart from Christ? Two are wrong and one are right. One's right. There's two false teachings and then there's one biblical teaching. All right, now the first one tells you that man, uh, outside of the mistakes he makes in life, is generally good in the eyes of God. They're generally good, and when left to themselves under normal circumstances, man will do good things. Essentially, people who hold this view believe that the fall didn't happen downward, that man actually fell upward. They, they say and they teach that Adam and Eve were not held back by the command of God and by experimenting with good and evil have passed on to us the ability to grow in divine potential. We find that within so-called Christianity today. I don't consider them Christian. I consider them a cult. And you can quote me on that. Because the particular group that holds that thought is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. Now, the second opinion or view that is found in Christianity is one that is very, very popular within evangelicalism today. And it correctly states that man did not fall upward, that man fell downward in sin, but their view states that man is not dead. Man is only sick. He's only sin sick. It states his sin condition is really not life-threatening because he can still act to save himself. They use the illustration that a sinner is like an individual who's on his sickbed. He, he may be bedridden, he may be weak, but he need, all he needs is the doctor to bring him the medicine. 
And even though that he is very weak, he can still hold the medicine. He can take the medicine in his hand and he can take it. That he has the power himself to to open his mouth and swallow the medicine. Now, of course, the medicine that they're speaking of is the grace of God. And, And he must have the grace of God in order to escape death. But the sin-sick man retains some power to either reject or accept God's grace. And that is the popular view within evangelicalism today. But I want you to read again verse 1 here in Ephesians chapter 2. Because this is the biblical view. And what does it say there in verse 1? And you were dead. I know the last time that I preached this text, I posed this question, and I'm going to go ahead and pose it now also. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, is that in the Bible? I mean, it's kind of a simple question. And is not the Bible the Word of God? Is not the Bible the all-sufficient, all-authoritative Word of God? Is it not what provides all knowledge for the redemption of man? Is it not the Word of God that holds all authority over the life of the believer and over the life of the church? Is that true? Well, if that is the case... Are we not to base our understanding of how man is justified or saved by this word? We are. So you know what that tells me? Mankind is not sin-sick. Mankind is not sin-sick. Mankind does not require medicine for healing from from sin sickness. Man requires resurrection from the dead. Romans chapter 9 and verse 16 says that our salvation depends not on human will or exertion, but on God and His mercy. Friends, Ephesians 2 is clear. We were in the past not spiritually well or spiritually sick. In the past, when we were apart from Christ, we were spiritually dead. Now, that doesn't mean that we didn't have life. We could walk, we could talk, we could work. We could even do things that that others would would say were, were good works. But we were doing those things in a deviation of truth and uprightness. We were doing them in a way that violated the very law of God. We were spiritually dead to the things of God and God himself. That's what we're being told here in Ephesians chapter 2. I I would say, all of us here this morning, or at least the adults, 
we came in contact with someone who's died. We've interacted with a dead person at some point in our life in our, as adults. In that interaction that you've had with that dead person, did they respond to your touch? Did they respond to someone else's touch? Did they respond when you spoke to them? They didn't, did they? This is the same way with spiritually dead people. They don't respond to God's presence and his word unless God initiates and works in the heart. See, God is present in the life of all people. We know this from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45 where we're told this, For He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good, and He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And according to Romans 1, God gives a call of salvation to everyone, a general call of salvation. A call that is expressed to everyone through creation, through conscience, through the canon of Scripture, and the gospel of Christ. But what does Ephesians 2 tell us here on top of that? That apart from Christ, mankind is dead. And being dead being unable to see, being unable to comprehend, being unable to respond even when the Bible is taught, even when the gospel is offered, is being made because dead people can't respond to stimuli or words spoken to them. Only those who are alive in Christ can do that. I say all of that Draw your attention to verse 4. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I was dead in trespasses and sin. I was dead in trespasses and sin. I was chasing after the passions of my flesh. I was a child of wrath. I was, I was an individual that was heading to hell. But God, but God, he, he raised me from the dead in Christ. It is by his grace that I have been saved. your heart you need to think about that that was you the same as me that was where I was heading but God he did it by his grace he did it 
even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. According to verse 5, he made us alive together with Christ. Do you know what that means? That he made us alive together with Christ? It means that we did not make ourselves spiritually alive. He did. It was God who, who breathed life into these dead, dry bones. It is he who, who saved us in spite of us. He, he saved us in spite of our sin, in spite of our shame. All of us who were in Christ were once spiritually we, we were captive to the world. We were captive to the flesh. And we were justly under the condemnation of God. But God, in His mercy, in His love for us, redeemed us. He justified us. He made us alive together with Christ. You know what? Here's a point that a lot of people struggle with that comes from this text. God wasn't obligated to do it. Because we're told here that God done this being rich in mercy. In mercy. And if he acted in mercy, that means he was not obligated to do it. He was not obligated to owe us salvation as individuals. Do you realize that? That the whole reason that you are in Christ Jesus today is because of his rich, endless mercy. Because there's no requirement of God to save any of us. But God being rich in mercy, verse 4 says, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. Do you realize that each and every one of us spiritually were just like Jesus' friend Lazarus. We were just like Lazarus. Let's look at that for a moment. Turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 11, real quick. I'm going to begin reading here in verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an, be an odor, 
for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that, all, that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Question. You've read this with me. Did it tell us that Jesus sat outside the tomb with worry? Did he, did he fret? Did, did he just sit outside the tomb and wait for Lazarus to do something? Did, did, he, did he knock on the door and say, Lazarus, are you in there? Did, did he plead with Lazarus? Did, did he stand outside and plead with him saying, Oh friend, I, I need you to come out. He didn't, did he? What did he do? I mean, Lazarus was, was dead. He was buried. He, he was rotting. Jesus didn't wait for Lazarus to do something. I mean, he didn't go in there and, and pat him on the hand and say, please come to life. He commanded him. He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Amen. And what happened? Walked out of that tomb. And the same is true for us. Each and every one of us here in Christ Jesus, were past tense, dead in our trespasses and sins. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to us and cried out with a command, Come unto me. Come unto me. And what happened? We walked out of that tomb alive to the praise of His glorious grace. Friends, that's the message of the gospel. You see, the, the message of the gospel is not you performing moral and spiritual exercises to get God to respond to you. The message of the gospel is not us performing a list of self-help techniques. Gospel is the simple fact that all of us, apart from Christ, we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were lifeless spiritually. And because in our fallen state, we had deviated from the truth, we had deviated from uprightness, we were children of wrath. But God, but God being rich in mercy, 
saved us. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, Paul tells us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Church, God sent his own son to bear our sins upon the cross. Dying the death that our sin deserves. And in his resurrection, giving us life eternal. That's the gospel message. So let me ask you, is this the message that you've believed in for your salvation? Is this the message that you trust in for your salvation? Have you came to God and, and confessed that you were dead in sin apart from Him? And apart from his saving grace. Do you acknowledge that because of his mercy and his love. You are now saved by the work of Christ alone. If you have then you can sing this hymn in your heart. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite. No, could my tears forever flow, all for sin could not atone. Thou must save and save alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Amen. Amen. We are justified by grace through faith alone. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this word and the focus that it has on the Lord Jesus Christ and the focus that it has on you. As we think about our justification, we think about the redemption that we have in Christ. This letter, it, it just draws us back to the fact that our redemption was planned by you, it was initiated by you, it was carried out by you, and it's applied by you. We just want to worship and glorify your name for what we have in Christ Jesus today. Now move our hearts as we've heard your word to worship you in spirit and truth. And it's for Christ's sake and in his name today that we pray. Amen and amen.